welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today, today's show is may save your child's life, may save your family's life. It's very important. Um, and it is uh, with my guest, who is the author of a new book called Lost in Transnation. Uh, as you know, this whole issue of people thinking that they can change their sex, uh, being convinced to for all the wrong reasons, is really sweeping the world. I, you know, I, a while ago, I thought it was just America, but um, actually this is happening all over the world. The world is going crazy. And so I, we are very lucky to have today's guest, honored to have our today's guest, Miriam Grossman, Dr. Miriam Grossman. She is a board certified psychiatrist and she's also certified in the subspecialty of child and adolescent psychiatry. And um, she is the author of four books, um, including Unprotected and You're Teaching My Child What? Her work exposes the origin and the hazards of the sexuality and gender industry. It's become an industry. And it's been translated into 11 languages, which just shows you how, how far you know this issue has gone. And she's lectured at the British House of Lords and the United Nations, and she is featured in Daily Wire's What is a Woman? Welcome to the show, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Grossman. Thank you, Dr. Lieberman. Thank you for having me. You know, um, your biggest uh, credential, most important credential, is that you were trained at NYU Bellevue, which is where I was trained as well. Really? Yes, only the best are trained at Bellevue and go on to be uh, to be leaders, to be mavericks. I mean, that's why we went to Bellevue in the first place, right? Well, I didn't know at the time, but I guess. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's let's start with. Um, well, first of all. I know you said in your book, you said that you were brought to write this book from your previous book. So could you give us like a, a brief chronology of how you got to this point in terms sure. of- Sure. Yeah, of course. I was doing research on sex education because so many of my patients who were students at UCLA um, had sexually transmitted infections and they had herpes and they had genital warts and multiple abortions and HIV scares and depression and anxiety. And uh, they were hooking up. I would see sometimes kids who couldn't even estimate the number of people that they had had sexual contact with. So I started digging into what kids were being taught about healthy sexuality. And uh, that led to my book. Uh, well, my first book was unprotected because I concluded that young women, especially young women, are just utterly unprotected. That was back in 2007. Then I, then I wrote a book specifically on sex education. And that's when I discovered gender. 
So I was um, I was looking into material on sexuality that was written by Planned Parenthood and different organizations, including governmental organizations, about prevention of STDs and condoms and all the rest of it. And I stumbled across gender. And I said, what, what is this? What, what are we doing? We're, wait a minute, we're telling kids that you could be not male or female? And that to divide humanity up into male and female is a false and oppressive paradigm? Wait a minute. And uh, yeah, I discovered what we're teaching kids about gender. Now, this was 15 years ago. Mm. And the thing is, Dr. Lieberman, one of my most common questions that I get these days is, how did this all happen so fast? Yes, yes. And it didn't. It didn't happen fast at all. It happened actually quite slowly over decades and decades. But I discovered back in the 90s that we were already back then in sex education and even in some medical sources, um, not mainstream medical sources, but still, it was out there. It was out there teaching people that there's something called gender identity and that that can either be the same as your body, your sex body, or it can be different. And that if it's different, that's normal and that's great. And sometimes people need to uh you know align is the word that's often used to align align their healthy bodies with their minds and uh that that's their right to do that and we have to respect that and accept it and it's not any sort of disorder whatsoever you know it's interesting to speak to dr Liebman to you as a psychiatrist because um i'm going to mention the dsm dsm-5 as you know, for decades, the DSM, which is the Bible of psychiatry that lists all the disorders, mental, mental illnesses, mental health disorders, it listed uh, until 2013, it listed something called gender identity disorder. And these were individuals, both kids and adults, very, very rare, uh, occurring in maybe one to 30,000 to over 100,000 people. Extremely rare. I mean, we went to medical school, right, NYU? I never dreamt I would see one person that had gender identity disorder. Did you? Well, no, I mean, not, um, no, I don't remember ever using that DSM code, quite frankly. I mean, we did have dysphoria, of course, and it still is in the DSM-5, gender dysphoria, but that is being, um, co-opted into mean different things these days well the reason so it used to be gender identity disorder and then 10 years ago with the dsm-5 there was a decision made by a committee within the apa the american psychiatric association to get rid of this diagnosis as a disorder and to no longer call it a disorder because it was felt at that time well this was done for two reasons one is because the psychiatrists and the psychologists on the committee, out of a sense of compassion, wanted to remove the stigma. The stigma for people who 
want to live their lives as the opposite sex, um, there is a great deal of compassion for those people because it's a difficult path. The other reason why they change the diagnosis from gender identity disorder to gender dysphoria, not a disorder, um, was for insurance purposes. There were a lot of people that wanted to remove the diagnosis altogether mm -hmm. uh, and just omit it as a psychiatric phenomenon or condition or whatever you want to call it. But in order, you see, in order to get treatment for this issue, you want to have insurance that's going to pay for the medical inter and surgical interventions. And if the diagnosis was removed completely, there would be no code, right? No code. People knew <laughs> what went into uh, making the different diagnoses in the DSM. Um, you know, they, I was on the committee for a schizoaffective disorder because I had written a paper about that. And, um, you know, so much, I mean, yes, of course, a lot, you know, is research. And um, the more research and that you can base your decisions on and so on, the better. But um, but it, particularly in, in things like that. And I remember when homosexuality was in the DSM and then it was like there was a oh, something after that that um, to take that that was taken away because of compassion or because of stigma, really. Um, and uh, and then, you know, then they got to gender identity disorder and, and so on. Um, but, you know, it's, it, I mean, it's the best that can be done with the research that is done to date. But sometimes with certain diagnoses, the political biases, you know, of the people um, involved on the committee, <laughs> it plays a big role, you know? I mean, for example, with schizoaffective, I know we were arguing about whether it should be under schizophrenia or a separate disorder or under a bipolar or, you know, back and forth. Um, and uh, so it is interesting, but I don't want to go off track, too off track. But uh, I'm so I'm sorry. So go go ahead. So you were. Oh, so I guess what I was saying is that I discovered in sex education that we were teaching kids this very bizarre concept. Belief, I call it a belief system because I consider it more like a religion than anything medical or scientific. In other words, the belief that you are who you feel you are. Right. So I could come and say, you know, I feel like I'm 25. I identify as someone who's 25. So the whole world has to see me as someone who's 25. I do that every day. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you know, I mean, really, it's like um, if someone came, back in the before all this blossomed and that's where you were going, you know, to say how where, how we got from all those years back to now, Um but before that, if someone would come into an emergency room or just into your office and say, I am a boy when they're a girl or vice versa, it would be like saying, I'm the Queen of England. You know, you would start um, trying to do a differential diagnosis of are they psychotic? And chances are you would put them in the hospital. Now we have to call them by the right pronoun. <laughs> it's just gotten ridiculous. Yeah, it, it really is. I was very... Uh 
alert, alarmed as a child psychiatrist that uh, vulnerable kids, you know, kids who have other disorders might be drawn into these beliefs. And that indeed is what happens. So I did warn parents in 2009. What is that? 14 years ago, right? I had warned parents in a, my book called You're Teaching My Child What? Um, about gender ideology. And I said that it would be catastrophic for our kids. And indeed, it, it, it really has been that, Dr. Lieberman. It's been, it's catastrophic. That is amazing that you were have been teaching it, you know, warning people for that long. Well, we're going to be um, soon taking a break. We have four minutes till break. But um, how do you think, and you can continue this obviously after the break, how do you think that is the question? How did it all of a sudden, boom, blossom like this, you know, when, when it seemed like to, it came out of nowhere? Well, what I noticed, and I write about this in my book, uh, Lost in Transnation, uh, you know, I collected, you probably have also through the years, I have a whole bunch of textbooks that go way back, you know, to the, to the 80s, I guess, psychiatric textbooks, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and I have papers and journals, and I could sort of go through them and identify uh, changes that happened through the years. So, hmm. for example, you know, not that long ago, I, I have a book. I know we have to stop in a minute, but I have a book that's from the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry from 1998 called Your Child. And it's written for parents. And it's a big, thick book, A to Z. Every kind of child, you know, psychiatry issue you can imagine is in there. Nothing about, about transgender. Zero. 1998. 25 years ago. So it was so rare at that point. Now, mind you also, there were only at that time, I think, three clinics in the entire world to help these families. Three clinics. Now we have well over 100 places in this country, well over 100, just in this country. We didn't even have a gender clinic for children in the United States until, I think, 2007, Boston Children's. Hmm. Well, you know, that is part of the thing, and we can talk a little bit about this. Um, uh, the difference between this is how sort of why people get one of the reasons why people get so emotional when they have these kinds of discussions, you know, these uh, debates, it's because they don't, we, we need to acknowledge, or I, I like your opinion about it. I, I say, or I think that we need to acknowledge that there are people, children, um, who, who through normal means through, um, through biological, psychological um, uh, means do think of themselves, uh, do feel like that they're in the wrong body. Yeah. But, um, but that is not really what's happening today. Absolutely. And we so have I, this whole new ballgame right now. Yes. I mean, so it's like, it's important to sort of um, say that, that you're not denying that there are uh, people who spontaneously feel this way. We're talking about people who get convinced, you know, to, yes. to change. That's, that's, uh, I, I spend, you know, I spend an entire chapter explaining the different kinds of gender dysphoria and the fact that until 
10 years ago or so, we really only had basically two populations, which were little boys, you know, prepubescent, even like toddler preschool, that's the Jazz Jennings type of individual who from a very early age is saying, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl. It's coming from something internal. I think that's what you were getting at. And then the other population that we always knew about are middle-aged heterosexual men who cross-dress, they enjoy it, they are sexually aroused by cross-dressing, and then a certain point in their lives after they've had families, they often will make a decision, not often, but they will, they make a decision that they want to live the rest of their lives as women, that's the other population. Now, totally new population, teenagers who previously never had any discomfort. Why don't we stop there since uh, since we're going to be uh, cut off? Um, no, the, uh, my producer wouldn't do that, but we're supposed to get off now. Um, I just want to re- remind people of the name of your book before we go to a break. It's called Lost in Trans Nation, A Child Psychiatrist's Guide Out of the Madness. And we're talking today with the author of that book, Dr. Miriam Grossman. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking today about the book, Lost in Translation, A Child Psychiatrist's Guide Out of the Madness. And that child psychiatrist is with us today. 
and her name is Dr. Miriam Grossman. And before the break, we were talking about um, how this this whole transgender or the idea of gender, where you could kind of pick <laughs> what you want to be, um, was um, seems to have come out of nowhere, but really has been building. But so my question though is why why did it seem like I mean why were people other than people like you who were studying this why does it seem um, to the average person that this did come out of nowhere like why did it blossom so much in the last several years I think that uh, part of it is because uh, once there was a redefinition of marriage in twenty fifteen that a lot of the attention then shifted over to the next you know group the lgbt the next letter i don't know how, how, how you want to describe it but you know this is all framed within uh uh it, it's all kind of packaged within a civil rights framework mm -hmm. and so once um the marriage issue for gays and lesbians was resolved on a, at a federal level. I think that the attention shifted. For example, the um, human rights campaign prior to 2015 hardly ever mentioned tra the transgender population. And then at around at 2015, you know, you start you see that that they they shift their lobbying efforts, and you know they have tremendous power and money there. Um, and this is all, you know, corporations are behind this. And I don't know if you're aware, but, you know, the whole transhumanism movement in which there are very wealthy individuals, some of them transgender, who would like to see, so to speak, humanity 2.0. That humanity 2.0 is disembodied. It's, it's not connected to the body. It's a disembodied. They, it, I, I'm not an expert at this, but I think that's another reason that it's gotten very big. The other thing I would say is that, you know, it's a social contagion. This is not like what you mentioned a few minutes ago. This is not something that is an inner psychological, like, in other words, the core of it, the etiology of it is not necessarily from an inner process. It like in the little kids, I mean, if you take a three-year-old who's never been on the internet and has never been in preschool and it hasn't watched all, you know, and, and they're and they're they're saying that they're the opposite sex, you know, as a child psychiatrist, we're not going to be looking at, well, you know, have they been visiting, have they been watching YouTube visit, uh, YouTube um, transitioning videos? Of course not. We're going to look at the family. We're going to look at the child and we're going to try and figure out psychodynamically like what may be behind this issue. But you see, we have a totally different population right now. As I was saying, we have kids, the vast majority of these, this 5,000% increase in the number of kids that are now identifying as something other than their biology. These are kids that until recently, <laughs> until their announcement, um, were not uncomfortable. They may try and rewrite history. That's another aspect of this. 
you know, they may say to their parents, oh, no, I just never told you. I, I was always uncomfortable. I never wanted to be a girl. I always wanted to be a boy. And the parents saying, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Wasn't that you, you know, in that pink princess dress a few years ago? And, you know, the kid will say, well, yeah, that was me. But inside, I wasn't happy. So the kids are kind of rewriting their history. But basically, these are kids who heard about this in school or online. <clears throat> I'm sorry, or through Hollywood or Disney. And it, it's, it's been identified in a fantastic and important paper in 2018 by Lisa Lippman, a physician from Brown University. And she coined this term rapid onset gender dysphoria. And so that's what we're seeing now. The vast majority of kids have a rapid onset of this um, discomfort with their body. And it, there's clearly a social contagion. And I'll explain to your audience what a social contagion is. It is when feelings or, or beliefs or behaviors spread within a friend, a social group, a friend group. And that group can be online, which is why, by the way, in my book, I provide parents with uh, hands-on, very practical information on getting control of your child's internet use. You have to do that. You cannot let your child be unsupervised on the internet. There are too many people there who are activists and they are grooming your child. Yes, yes. Um, and you said something that made me think. Oh, the the tie, the name of this rapid onset um, gender rapid rapid onset gender dysphoria isn't that a little bit tongue in cheek? I mean, like because it's rapid onset because of social contagion or because teachers told you or you know what I mean? It, it's not really. I mean, it's rapid onset because because it's not real. Well, it's really, it's real to the kids. I promise you that. I mean, it's when you, it's, they, they do feel genuine distress, many of them, intense distress to the point of, you know, wrapping their breasts with these tight binders, by the way, given out in some schools, schools are giving out, parents have to be, I'm sorry, I'm going to just skip to this. It's just so important, Dr. Lieberman. I want parents to know they have to be vigilant, okay? They need to know what's going on in their kids' schools. There are people in our schools that are looking to recruit your child. And you've got to be aware and you've got to... I have an entire chapter in the book, Lost in Transnation. Let me show it to you or else I'll get into trouble. <laughs> yes. I have a chapter only on schools. It will explain to parents. And by the way, the book is not written for professionals. It's written for moms and dads. Mm -hmm. And you will understand how teachers, principals, guidance counselors, school psychologists, they are mandated by their professional organizations to keep it a secret from you if your child wants to assume a new identity at school, and that includes your daughter using the boys' restrooms, they must keep it a secret from you uh, if your child so requests. 
Now, I, this is I didn't know the professional. I mean, I, it, the APA is doing that too. No, no. These are the the school the associations for school principals, for school guidance counselors, for school psychologists. Those professionals. Because even that school psychologists. So school psychologists are there. Uh, well, it would be the APA, the American Psychological, or or the or a subset, the School Psychologists Association. They are mandating that that they have to do this. I mean, this is outrageous. It is outrageous, but you know. All organizations, Dr. Lieberman, I mean, ACAP, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry, tells me that if a patient comes in and, and asks to be called by a new different sex name and pronouns, I should be doing that immediately. In my guidelines from ACAP, that's what it says. And what is the punishment if you don't do that? Well... Uh, there are teachers that have lost their job. Yeah. I, I, I mentioned in my book two teachers, one from, I think, Maine, one from California, who did the right thing and told parents, listen, your child is being socially transitioned. People in your audience understand social transition, meaning that they are, um, the child is coming to the adults at school and saying I, I'm identifying as the as as something other than my biology. I want you to use this new name, these new pronouns. I want to, you know, use the opposite sex bathrooms, changing room. When we go on school trips, overnight trips, they are going to be door. They are going to be sleeping in the room with the opposite sex kids. So. So what I'm trying to tell parents is that the school is going to go along with this because, because you know, it's this has been baked in to the policies on a district level. So why do you think? Why do you think that that is? I mean, um, I mean, I have been saying, and I think that it has to do with politics, the politics, progressive politics that are trying to destroy the American family. What do you think it is? Well. These policies of these organizations are crafted with, you know, with the heavy handed supervision, you could say, of organizations, activist LGBT organizations that are that are zealots. They are just gender zealots and they will not take any opposition. Like you they have power over, you know, like uh, like the organization of so of of school psychologists, for example. How do they get power over that? Listen, I'm a doctor just like you. I I how do they get power? I think that the same way that they get power in our medical organizations is that a small group of very fervent activists who are loud make a lot of noise and they bully and intimidate the rest of us. And they end up on the committees that are making the policy decisions. And they bully everybody else into agreeing. And people are afraid to speak up. You know this as well as I do. And I explain in my book how the American Academy of Pediatrics, totally taken over, will not even permit year after year, there have been pediatricians since 2019, Every year, pediatricians coming up and saying, we don't agree with your 
with your policy statement on the treatment of, tra of, of, of these uh, gender questioning kids. We would like to have debate. We would like to have panel discussions. We want to have guests come in from Europe, from Scandinavia. Did you know that this year's American Academy of Child Adolescent Psychiatry meeting coming up in a few weeks, uh, coming up in October. So one group who's in opposition, you know, who's, who's, there is no medical consensus is what my book is just over and over again. I want parents to know there's no medical consensus. They're being led to believe, okay. Dr. Admiral Rachel Levine is standing up and telling parents there's a medical consensus. No, right. no consensus. Yes. And the Admiral needs to stop saying that. Okay, there needs to be some accountability here for goodness sake. Yes. Sweden, Norway, Finland, Denmark, England. They're not, they're not going with any of this, these medical interventions anymore. You yes. know what they say these kids need? They need psychotherapy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting that these Scandinavian countries that were known for like free sex and, you know, very liberal as far as sexual behaviors and so on. It's so interesting that they're the ones even who put their foot down on this. That's right, because they looked at the data. It, it wasn't a political decision. They sat down. Well, actually, what happened, it's very interesting, Dr. Lieberman, what happened in Sweden is that a girl who, who goes by the name, I don't know if she's, a girl who went by the name of Leo, like a 12, 11, 12 year old girl, was placed on puberty blockers because she wanted to transition to living as a boy. And they didn't do any, they weren't following her closely enough. And they told the parents that this is the only way you need to put Leo on puberty blockers. Well, Leo went on puberty blockers, her mental health went down, she had suicide attempts, and then she developed back pain, back pain, hip pain, going on and on for over a year, over two years. P.S. Osteoporosis, vertebral fractures, because of those blockers. It was brought, and there was a documentary that was made about it in Sweden. You can, it's on YouTube. You can watch it uh, with English subtitles. And a uh, fantastic documentary, this journalist goes and seeks out the doctors, the endocrinologist, the pediatrician, the clinicians, and says, what happened to Leo here? What did you do? You, you put Leo on blockers and look at her now. She's, she's, she's disabled for life. Mm -hmm. Because you see, you need to go through puberty to have a healthy skeletal system to have strong bones. Osteoporosis is not something that a 14 year old girl should have. It's something I should have, which I do actually. <laughs> but that's because of my you age. You are not puberty blockers. <laughs> yes, okay. and by the way, we're, we're talking with Dr. Miriam Grossman. Again, the she's the author of Lost in Transnation, A Child Psychiatrist's Guide Out of the Madness. So, um. So are you saying, like, as far as why it seems to have, have suddenly mushroomed, it's because these groups, these LGBTQ plus groups, and, and you were saying about um, 2015 when, when same-sex marriage became legal, that everything kind of went to hell in a handbasket. I mean, you know, now, of course, we're even talking about um, animals. You know, kids are, are 
uh, wanting to be called yeah. the dog names and cat names. And um, I mean, it, it's just madness. There's going to be, I bet you at some point in the future, if we keep going like this, there are going to be marriages allowed between a person yeah. and a cat. Let me just explain. You see, this is about pushing the limits of what's acceptable. So it will always go on and on and on because it's not about achieving a certain goal. Yeah. Once that goal is achieved, there's going to be something afterwards that's more and more disturbing and depraved because the attraction to certain people is just of pushing that limit of what is acceptable. And there always has to be more because you see, now the surgery, top surgery, bottom surgery, in which the penis is flayed like a piece of fish and turned inside out and made into a quote unquote vagina and the boys are castrated and the girls have their healthy breasts removed when they're 12 years old. All of that is being normalized. But once it's normal, it's yeah. not exciting anymore. It's, yes. Um, and, you know, the kids going on social media and trying to get more likes, you know, that the kids who are doing all of these changes, oh, I just got this and I just got that and and getting all these all these likes from other people, you know, getting attention. And I think part of this has to do, of course, with um, the decrease in attention that parents are giving their kids whether it's because um, both parents are working or because one parent or both parents have checked out, they're pursuing their own um, desires, you know, uh, satisfying their own needs or whatever. But there, there isn't this mirroring that, that all kids need. And they've turned to the internet, social media for mirroring. And what they're getting back, you know, is, is bad, especially with TikTok and all that, you know, which, is is the secret weapon of China um, to turn our kids. You know, I provide in the book um, a conversation, a model conversation between a parent and a child who for the first time is announcing their new identity. Now, I'm hoping that most families won't need that. I'm hoping that most families can avert that sort of a disaster, but I'm I'm providing that as a tool for parents so that they might just put it in their back pocket just in case. And uh, it, it's actually quite a wonderful conversation in which the parent is um, is showing, you know, is, is being loving and yet uh, not accepting of the new identity. So uh, the parent is showing curiosity. What does this mean? When did you hear about it? What does this mean to you? I, you know, you're not alone. I want to help you with this. And yet the parent is saying, I will not be using a new name. I will not be using new pronouns. And I know that that's not what you want to hear. But you know what? In a loving relationship, there's sometimes disagreement. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to disagree on this. But that doesn't mean we're still not in a very loving relationship and I love you and I adore you and I always will. So uh, it's an important it's an important model conversation for people to read not when it happens but hopefully even years before it may happen. Uh-huh. 
So what do you suggest besides all the th wonderful things? I mean, this is so such an important book. And, and, you know, people do need, you were kind of implying that, and it's true, people do need, parents do need this prophylactically. Like, even if they think, oh, my kid would never say that, you know, they know they like being a girl or a boy. Um, with all the pressure that they're getting, um, you know, they might, in fact, say they want to be cool. That you know, the, even the, the kids in school who who are trans or binary or whatever get more attention. So whether it's on the internet, you know, or whether it's in their class, making—I mean, that's such power. Making someone call you, making your teacher call you a boy when you're a girl, and all that—it's—it's it's just a, a you know, aren't I cool? Aren't I powerful? I can make them do whatever I want. These are great points. It makes, you know, often a child who has felt, um, you know, these are kids that are often on the spectrum and they're not fitting in and they're unhappy and they're anxious and they don't know how to make conversations and make eye contact. And all of a sudden, oh boy, it's just 24 seven love bombs. You're the greatest, you're so brave. Um, but what I tell, just getting back to what parents can do, I believe that parents can start very early to explain to their children that from the moment that they were created on this earth, they've been a girl or a boy. From that very, it's not, nothing's assigned. There's no doctor that's making a random decision in the delivery room or a midwife. Because you see, kids are being taught, little kids are being taught that the grown-ups may have made a mistake. And only you know who you are, and your anatomy doesn't matter. It's how you feel. And the grown-ups need to step back and listen to how you feel and what you want. This is what the kids are being told. So I want parents from their kids at early age to be emphasizing that it's that, that they were a, a boy or a girl from the moment that they existed and they will always be a girl or that, that can't be changed. Feel not, just, not just because of their anatomy, but because they were born with either XX or XY chromosomes and that can't be changed. Of course. But I also want parents to, to in their own minds, recognize that their son or their daughter may not fit exactly the model of what they have in mind for masculinity and femininity. Okay, that can happen. And you don't want your kid getting messages, even if they're not spoken, but sort of, you don't want to be giving your kid any messages that the way they are in terms of their masculinity or femininity isn't okay. Yes, yes. Yeah, because then that plants a seed that they're not okay. And they may later on decide, well, my parents will accept, you know, I'll be more acceptable if I'm if I change my sex. Um, the other thing I, I want, I want kids to be educated at home so that when I, they hear things outside, like sex assigned at birth, they're going to say to themselves, no, 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 no. I know that that's not right. Yeah. I know that sex is not assigned at birth. Sex is from, you know, conception or however you want to put it, fertilization or however, you know, the very first moment that a person exists. Mm -hmm. I want kids to already have red flags being waved in their mind when they hear some of this, this terminology that is, that is, it's Orwellian, okay? It's it's meant to change how we think. 
Yes. That's yeah. the point of when they say gender affirming care. Okay, it sounds great, like to affirm a young person. What young person doesn't want to be affirmed? But you see, you are then denying their reality, their biological reality. That's not a favor. That's not a kindness. Yes, yes. Um, I think, do you think also that COVID and the lockdowns had a lot to do with it? Because this blossoming, because um, that has had such a, a terrible, devastating effect on kids in so many ways, psychologically, educationally, and so on. But psychologically, and actually, I think for all of us, we have come out uh, to this new normal. You know, so far, we really don't know what the new normal is. And it's this sort of existential mess that we're in. And so do you think that kids, really, they're hurting from the lockdowns and from lack of socialization and all that and being depressed? Yeah and hopeless yep. all of that and they want to escape and so it's like playing a game almost okay i know how i can feel better and of course that's what they're being told too well well the other thing that i need to mention here in terms of covid is that kids were isolated and on their devices 24/7 and on their devices is a whole world of transgender utopia right. i mean just thousands and thousands of kids who are documenting, you know, I've been on testosterone for a month and I just feel so good. I've never felt so full of energy. Of course, it's a steroid. Yeah, you're going to feel pretty good in the beginning, maybe, you know, and just documenting how great it feels. Look, I'm growing a little beard and I feel great. And soon I'm going to have my surgery. And people are looking at this, the kids are looking at this, they're depressed, they're anxious, they hate their lives, they have all kinds of issues going on. And they say, wow, maybe this is the answer. Maybe I'll be happy like that person is so happy. There's yeah. no doubt. I've had one patient after the next tell me that that was the case. Mm -hmm. That that was what triggered them. Hmm. Well, so um, what what kind of um you i mean it's you're one person of course your books are going everywhere but what um are you doing having any risks are you feeling any risks like to your license or to um or like at speaking engagements or you know are you feeling any risks about continuing to to put this out there well yeah i mean you know there are certain risks that i'm taking for example you know someone my medical board could come along and say I'm practicing conversion therapy because I refuse to say to a girl that she's a boy. So that would be considered conversion therapy, which is not legal in my state. So I guess I'm taking that, that kind of a risk. Um, in terms of speaking engagements, I'm very, very careful about security. Uh, I will not go to college campuses. Huh. Uh, yeah, I to answer your, I mean, there are certain risks that I'm taking to be sure, um, but we have to do this. We 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 have. There's no other way. I'm not going to just sit back, Dr. Lieberman. I know too much. I've seen too much. I've heard. I've talked to too many hundreds and hundreds of parents. I can't even tell you. Our profession has just abandoned parents abandoned them and made them into the enemy and told them that you're the problem and if your kid commits suicide it's your fault yes our our um 
our fellow um, psychiatrists, I mean, I am furious at psychiatrists to begin with before, you know, all talking about this whole issue. Um, we have, I, I haven't, but and I'm sure you haven't, but the majority of psychiatrists have just surrendered to this whole issue, you know, because insurance companies don't pay enough for them to do full-time psychotherapy and medication management during the therapy, um, they have become pill pushers, you know, seeing patients for 15 minutes, 30 minutes um, at a time, once every one to three months and giving yeah. them one prescription after another, after another, after another, because they don't get better because they're not getting therapy. Yeah. So they just keep throwing more prescriptions after them. So I am like disgusted <laughs> with psychiatrists. Um, you know, this is not how I don't practice that way. I won't see a patient um, unless they come to me at least once a week for therapy. And if they need medication, I give them medication. But I mean, this whole um, abandoning, presumably for, for financial reasons, you know, to become pill pushers it is just uh, also unbelievable. Well, yeah, that's I, that's for sure true. When I said abandoned, I was referring to the fact that these parents are traumatized. They are traumatized by this process. They feel utterly alone. They, they're isolated. They feel like they're fighting the whole world only because they want to stay put in reality. And they know that their daughter is a girl and that their son is a boy. And they don't believe their sons need to grow breasts in order to feel better. And they, a lot of people have just dismissed, they will not go to doctors. A lot of the parents that have been through this um, and watched as their children were medicalized, you know, once they turned 16 or 18, depending on the state, Oregon, it's, it's 15 years old without parental permission. Um, the parents just have, turned away from the field of medicine and psychotherapy. And, you know, I, I write, I have a chapter in the book also about the parents. The name of the chapter is Mourning the Living because they're mourning the loss of their living child who they no longer recognize. Um, so there's a ripple effect here. There's many, many victims of this belief system. And I believe that eventually, just like with the lobotomies and other medical scandals, this will come to an end. But in the meantime, I want to mention before we're done that I have on my website a form that parents can download and it puts schools on notice. So you down, it's right on my webpage, miriamgrossmanmd.com. You download the form. It puts your school on notice. It's a form written by attorneys who are specialists in parent-child rights. You have the constitutional right to direct the education of your child, not the schools, not the teacher, not the school guidance counselor. So it puts them on notice that what? That you are not going to permit any of this. You don't want your child taught about gender ideology in the classroom, in any sort of assembly or special event, or club, or any of it. You certainly do not give your permission for your child to be called any other a name, pronouns, use the opposite sex bathroom, none of it. You're putting the school on notice. And my feedback is incredible. I just heard earlier today from two families that did this 
they brought it to the principal and you asked the principal to put it in your child's permanent file. And the principals had a fantastic reaction. Okay. And they just said, I'm, I'm, I love this form. I'm sending it around to all the teachers so that they're aware of it. And I'm putting it in your child's permanent file. Now, if there is an activist that tries to nevertheless influence your child and groom your child, at least from a legal point of view, uh -huh. you have put that school yeah. on notice that it is against your, your, your permission, that you will not, you're not going for it. You forbid it. And Very you we only have 30 seconds left, and I want to give out your website again. It's miriamgrossmanmd.com, which is M-I-R-I-A-M, Grossman, G-R-O-S-S-M-A-N-M-D.com. The book, again, is called Lost in Translation, A Child Psychiatrist's Guide Out of the Madness. Um, I just want to say that, you know, that's one of the hopes, too. The more lawsuits there are against schools, against doctors, against therapists, all of that, that will help too. And the more people who come out and, and detransition and, and make it known, you know, in the media right. and so on, that will help too. But um, yes. Well, thank you for all this uh, incredible work that you're doing. And um, I really recommend the book. Again, it's Lost in Trans Nation. That's, that's two words, trans nation. A child psychiatrist. There we go. Well, a child psychiatrist guide out of the madness. Yeah, don't don't go to Barnes and Noble because they're they're uh, they're censoring my book. So go to my, on my website. There's a link to Amazon. Okay. All right. Um, well, thank you so much for being on the show. This is really important. Um, I have to have you back again to talk about some next development, uh, some next horrendous development. And thank you again. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.